Hi, um, my name's Awa, and I'll be doing the second Bible. Um, the reading comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, and it can be found on page 1044 on, in the Pew Bibles. Okay. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Owa. Now, just as we've prayed, uh, we will pray again. And hopefully our excitement is grounded in God's mission and what he's doing in this world, that he would even use us and ground us in his commission and his commandments. So let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we pray, O Lord, that you would spur us by what you are doing, by what you have commissioned and commanded, that we'll be faithful and fruitful servants of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you'll convict us of that now as we reflect on this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking a fair bit this morning already about why we exist. So why do we exist as a church? You see, every Sunday morning we have roughly 180 in our morning service and across the both service each week we'll get about 300 people. And so quite possibly you'll get 300 different reasons for why church exists, why we exist as a church. Of course, there's a lot of overlap in that, but up to 300 different answers. And so what we're going to do is spend some time thinking about that passage, what Jesus taught, why do we exist, and why are we here? Well, some might like to see church a bit like a speedboat, a speedboat. Try to get from A to B as quickly as possible. From welcome to benediction in the shortest amount of time. Why? Well, that's my religious duties for the week. I'm done. I'm sorted with God. Or it could possibly be, perhaps you may have heard of that story of the old preacher from the 1800s. The Oxford preacher who preached for two and a half hours. Now, over those two and a half hours, as he, as he preached longer and longer, people started to leave, until by the very end, there was only one man left. And they discovered that he had died while he was preaching. Now, you don't need to worry about that. I won't be going for two and a half hours, but it's not a bad way to go, is it? You listen to the word of God, and then you meet God. But, of course, we don't want that here. But perhaps... That's why some people like church to be like a speedboat, as quick as possible. But what do you think might happen if we see church like that? Everything so fast-moving, so quick, so fast-paced, just like the world around us, just like our society, just like Melbourne, busy all the time, so much so that we'll never have the time grounded 
in what is important in life. Never put the time to reflect, to hear what God has to say. Never enough time to reflect on, on life, on judgment, on sin, on forgiveness, on suffering, on sorrow, on hell, on heaven. Never enough time to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, where there is forgiveness of sins and peace and eternal life and hope. And so what do you think might happen if we do, like a speedboat, skimp over all those things, stingy with our time in the things of God? Well, what can happen is what we see all the time. We see it all the time. When we've gone out door knocking in our community uh, during our mission week, and we'll have mission week in a, in a couple of weeks, when we go out door knocking and you knock on the door, and behind the door is someone who is 50 years and up, almost every single time, almost certainly, that person, whether they go to church now, they used to go to Sunday school. They used to go to Sunday school when they were young, but they don't go to church anymore. And so you need to ask, what happened? Well, it's what we see all the time, when church is treated like a speedboat, as quickly as possible. You see, it takes only three. In fact, it takes only two generations before the gospel is lost in any family. You've heard it, haven't you? The first generation believes the gospel. The second generation assumes the gospel. And by the third generation, they deny the gospel. And it's perhaps why a very common comment I hear from even from some of you. A very common comment I hear is that there are so many churches of your friends where there aren't any children at all. No young people at all. No students at all. And you wonder why. What happened there? At my brother's church, when he started there, the average age of the members was 76 years old. And so what happened at a church like that? Well, it could be for many reasons. But is it possible that somehow, through the years, in the generations, that they skimped over the things of God until eventually what was once a Christian family is Christian no more? So why do we exist as a church? To be like a speedboat? Well, no. Or maybe, not a speedboat, but perhaps some people like to see church like boarding a cruise liner. You know, one of those P&O cruise ships. You board, the service is great. It is wonderful. Butlers everywhere to serve, everyone ready to attend to your need. Great food, great morning teas, real coffee, great suppers, the view is great, the entertainment is great, and you feel this is wonderful. This is so relaxing, this is so comfortable. But then what do you think will happen if we see church as boarding a cruise ship where everyone on board is completely unaware of the surroundings, completely oblivious to the society, to the culture that is ever-changing around us, what do you think will happen? Because when everyone is so comfortable inside, they lose sight of all the surroundings. And what happens? 
Well, do you remember what happened to the Titanic? I mean, the, the story, you know, it eventually crashed and sank. So many on board at that time, oblivious to what was happening outside, just sipping their champagne. Now, that might sound a bit alarmist, but when you hear about what I'm about to share, it is, in fact, not. When I went to Bible college a couple of, you know, quite a number of many years ago, over the five-year period from 2009 to 2014, do you know how many churches over those five years were closed in Victoria? Any idea? Over five years, just in this state. Over those five years, 145 churches were closed. The Uniting Church, they sold 74 of their churches. The Catholic Church, they sold 17 of their churches. The Anglican Church sold 53 of their churches. 145 closed their doors. I mean, that's more churches than there are churches in the Presbyterian denomination in Victoria. We've only got a bit over 100. I mean, that's shocking, isn't it, when you hear news like that? Everyone in those churches, every one of those churches, perhaps once a thriving community, but now sold to be transformed into homes, into offices, and even childcare centres. And you see, the Presbyterian Church are not without some sinking too. This church, St. George's, in Geelong, on a prominent corner, if you've been to Geelong, you would have passed this, on the prominent corner, in, on, in the way, um, on the way towards Geelong, this church closed its doors in 2015. It's a beautiful church building, blue stone, dedicated in 1860, much older than our church building, huge, bigger than our church, holds 500 people. So perhaps sometime in its history, they had 500 people there. But now it's being prepared to be sold. Now when you hear news like that, does it, does it upset you a bit? So many churches sold, but even in the Prezi church, now, these places were places where there were weddings, baptisms, celebrations, birthday parties, carol services, not to mention, perhaps, the hundreds of people who, were, who got their hands dirty in building that church in 1860. At their last service in 2015, there were only about 20-odd members on their roll. Here's another one. St. Andrew's Presbytery in Trelgan, built in 1915, once a Presbyterian church. By 2010, it was sold three times already. And do you know what it is today? It looks like this. It's a drinking bar called Spirit Bar. Now, you can say there's a different type of spirit inside that church. But it makes you think, doesn't it? What happened to so many churches? What happened to so many congregations? Now, of course, we do not know the details and the intricacies and the difficulties of each of those congregations. But is it possible that when church is seen like a cruise ship, people on board completely oblivious to the world outside, eventually it will sink. You see, the cultural landscape 
of our city, of our, our, of our Melbourne, has changed so much, even just over my lifetime, over the last 40 or so years. Once, in our nation, there was an affinity with Christianity. Christians were the moral pillars of society, once. That turned into sympathy with Christians. They can be tolerated. But then that quickly turned to apathy. Who cares about the Christians? They're insignificant anyway. To now, what is it now? Antipathy. To all things God, Christians are now not just to be tolerated. In fact, they are to be seen as bad for society. That's what's happening around our world. And so if we see church like a cruise ship and we're oblivious to that, it's a path to sinking. And so to be a church where we see it like a cruise ship, if we're oblivious, it may mean a slow but certain death. And so my question to you again, why do we exist as a church? Well, rather than a speedboat or a cruise ship, perhaps cruise ship wasn't even on your minds because you've got those wooden pews there, not very luxurious in any way. But instead of seeing it as a speedboat or cruise ship, we are to instead see ourselves more like a lifeboat with a deep sense of urgency because people are dying around us. I mean, there's no sugarcoating this in any way. If you do not know Jesus, if there are so many thousands even in our suburb who do not know Jesus, what hope is there for them on Judgment Day? And so we are to see ourselves like a lifeboat. And if you're on a lifeboat, you're not worried about comfort anymore, are you? You're not worried about entertainment anymore, are you? You're not worried about the colours of the carpet. You're not worried about those things because people are dying. And what do you do? You do all you can to lend your hand to save the drowning. And unless we're working together, pulling bodies out of the water, we've completely missed the point. But we're not just to be like any lifeboat. We're not to be like the lifeboats at the Titanic. Remember what happened there? Do you know the story? It's a story of cowardice. It was a tragic story. You see, after the Titanic sank, there were 1,600 people who were drowning, scattered across the ocean, wanting to get onto a lifeboat. There were 18 lifeboats. They were all half empty. But no one wanted to turn back to help save the drowning. They feared we might be toppled over and overturned and we might die too. So many feared out of the 18 boats, only one turned back. And only 13 were saved out of the 1,600 who were drowning. Only one lifeboat did what a lifeboat is meant to do. And I want to say to you, we want to be like that lifeboat. It's that urgency that we want to capture in our mission statement as a church, making and maturing disciples of Jesus together. That's why we exist, is for the saving of souls, is for the building of Christians. And that's why Jesus gave us the Great Commission in the first place. Make disciples of all nations. 
That is, we are to give our total, complete allegiance to Jesus, not to a careless dictator, but a loving saviour, not to a, an oppressive tyrant, but to the king of kings, who would even lay down his life for us. Total allegiance to such a king. And why? That's the only way you can be saved. That's the only way the nations can be rescued. And it's why Jesus commanded his disciples. What did he say? Verses 18 and 19. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations with absolute authority in the entire universe. Jesus says, I'm choosing you. Uneducated fishermen, a tax collector, odd bods to rescue this world. I mean, isn't that extraordinary? Surely, if Jesus has all the authority in the universe, he could just say the word and all the disciples who should be disciples will be made disciples in an instant without even any one of us lifting a finger without even any of one of us speaking a word. He could make all the disciples he want by himself. But what did he choose to do? With all that authority, he chooses ordinary, weak, broken vessels to rescue the nations, to bring hope where there is hopelessness, to bring peace where there is chaos, to bring life to where there is death. And that's why the church exists, to partake in that mission of God in this world. You see, God uses ordinary people, just like you and me, so ordinary, but he gives us an extraordinary message about an extraordinary saviour to bring to the nations. It's how we do our job on the lifeboat. And in doing so, we read on, we bring people into the kingdom of God. I mean, that's what it's meant by verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that is, pulling the drowning into the lifeboat so that they might be united with Christ. And we build them up in the kingdom. That's verse 20. That is, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Disciples are to be matured, and they mature as they are taught and obey the word of God. And that's why one of our core values is gospel-centered hearts. You've heard it this morning already. That that's to be part of our DNA. If you are a part of our family, you need to have that heart for that loss, for the loss, for those who are drowning. We're in the lifeboat together. We need to be working to bring them in. And I'm sure we all have friends, very close friends, family members, brothers and sisters even, parents. Children, sons, daughters, cousins, aunties, uncles who do, your, do not yet know the Lord Jesus. And doesn't it break our heart that they are drowning? And so what do we do? Well, isn't it the best thing to bring them in, to show them the way of life, to show them that there is hope, there is salvation? And when you hear those stories, aren't they just like the best news ever? When you hear someone coming from death to life, from sins being forgiven to being forgiven, 
some of you may have met uh, one young lady who attends our evening service normally. She found us uh, last year from our church website. No Christian background, doesn't go to church at all, but saw that we had a young adults group. So she emailed me and she asked, do you have a young adults group? Can I come along and see what you're about? I said, for sure, come along. And so she came, uh, met on that Sunday. I was surprised she came. Often I'll get emails and they don't rock up, but she did. Eventually, Michelle, our women's ministry worker, worked through Christianity Explored with her over, over many, many weeks. She joined my growth group. And after several months in my growth group, I asked her, so where do you think you now stand? Does this gospel make sense to you now? And she says, I now call myself a Christian. I mean, when you hear news like that, doesn't that fill you with joy? And that's why our value must be gospel-centered hearts. And that's also why our value from what Jesus has commanded us is that we are uncompromising, that we value word-centered teaching. You see, the word of God is nothing less than the word of God to us. It is the foundation of our life, our community, our family, our ministries. In all we do, it shapes it all. And so I just love it when I hear how many of our church family are involved in our weekly growth groups because there you can open up the Bible, open up your hearts, open up your lives and share it together. I love it when I hear that. I love it when I hear pairs or triplets meet during the week with the Bible open, meditating, praying for each other. Isn't that wonderful? Word-centered teaching. I love it that we can support missionaries who are on about bringing the word of God to those who don't have it. Recently, you would have heard one of our mission partners, the Canavans, Ellen and Faye Canavan. They do a brilliant job. A couple of weeks ago, I got to see them again. And I really wanted to know, so what's the fruit of your missionary work and the missionaries before you? So they were there to translate the Bible to the Buona Buona people in PNG. Now, do you know what the fruits are? How many became Christians in that people group? That people group of only about 3,000 people. He said over the years, because they've got the Bible now, but over the years from the missionaries even before them, 40 to 50% of that people group now profess Jesus as king. 40 to 50%. How many Australians would you say are genuine Christians? I'd say far less than that. But isn't it a joy that we can support such a mission work? But our mission in making disciples is part of it only because we're also on about maturing disciples. You see, on the lifeboat, when you bring someone over, they're, they're, they're malnourished, they're, they need help. And so that's what we want to do as a church. We want to nourish and nurture and feed so that all might grow into Christian maturity. It's in fact summed up in what Jesus commanded. The great commandment. How do we mature? How do we grow? How do you know that you're growing? How do you know that you've grown from last year to this year? How? We obey the commandment. We grow in our love for God and each other. I mean, Jesus says it pretty clearly. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God, not with some of your heart and some of your soul and a bit of your mind. That's not what we read, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind, 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And of course, that's not an arbitrary commandment. We remember that it is God who loved us first. And so we are loving God in response. We're loving the God who gave us life, who gave up his son for us, who blesses us with all that we have and are. And just in case any one of us might think, well, loving God, I can do that, but I can do that alone. It's a private matter. It's just between me and God. Being a Christian is something I can keep to myself. Well, no, you can't. The second part of the commandment, what did Jesus say? How do you show that you love God? You love your neighbor as yourself. And the church community is wonderful ways in which we show our love for our neighbor. And so maturing as disciples can be summed up by living out the great commandment. That's why it's also part of our mission statement. The great commission and the great commandment. It's why we exist. Which is why you can in fact say, as a church we are on mission to make disciples. But yet, at the same time, as a church, we are also the ends of God's mission. Because in heaven, what will survive? It will be the church, the people of God, the people God has gathered, no longer on mission. And that's why the first of our core values is God-centered lives. You've heard that already. And that's because we want every single one of you, we don't want sort of fake Christians. We want everyone to have a genuine, deep, robust, meaningful relationship with God Almighty that is real, that is seen, that overflows and saturates our whole life. We want everyone to always be humbly turning to God in fervent prayer. We want all of us to shine forth in this world like a city on a hill, like a star in the night sky like a, a beacon on a lifeboat to show to this world that there is hope to your misery. There is peace to your chaos. There is life to you who are facing death because there is a God who loves you. And it's also why our other core value is love-centered church. We're commanded to. As a church that is loved by God, we must express the love we experience to each other. It is how we mature and grow. It's how we become established in the Christian life that God has called us to. And so we want to be a church for all people because we want to be a love-centered church. Every culture, every age and every walk of life. And so that's our mission. Making and maturing disciples of Jesus but I'm not sure if you know notice yet that's not the whole mission statement is it you see there was one word that was added when we met with the focus group almost everyone suggested this is worth adding and it is the word together you see that is so important because it reminds us God saved us to be together God saved us not to be alone to go out alone as a Christian but to be together and he saved us that we might be together and on mission together you see we're in the lifeboat together we are all in it and we all have a part to play and that's why 
the final of our core values is service-centred members. He said, we want all of you to know you have a part to play, every single one of you. Small, big, we all have a part to play in driving the mission, in praying the mission, in pursuing the mission. You see, we want it to be we want to be a church where every one of you feel feels like you belong, that you are important, and that God has given you a gift to be used on the lifeboat for the saving and maturing of souls. And that might be in prayer. Prayer, so powerful. I mean, how many of the joys we experience, how many of the healings we experience, how many of the souls saved and lives transformed is because of your fervent prayers. That is a gift. We do it. Or be it in administration. How much of the work gets done in the lifeboat, on the lifeboat, that goes unseen? But it needs to be done so that the lifeboat stays afloat. There's the printing of newsletters. There's the meetings, the agendas, the minutes, the finances, the budgets, the sound, the multimedia, the insurance policies. How many of you know that that had to be considered? Now, I'm so pleased now because we've got someone on our board of management who can not only read the fine print, but also understand the fine print of all our insurance policies, but not only that, also enjoy it. I mean, isn't that a blessing from God? Or be it in evangelism, be it in hospitality. God has given you homes, not for you, but for him, to be used for him and for his glory. Be it in teaching, little ones, children like today. I mean, see all those teachers. Praise the Lord for the teachers we have. Our youth leaders, our growth group leaders, be it in setting up chairs and tables, be it in serving morning tea and supper, be it in looking after the property. I mean, I was so pleased just last week, there's this, this little issue on the roof uh, on top of my office. People were afraid I'm, I, might, I might have a bell that, that they'll fall on me. And so someone barricaded off and John Greening, magnificent man. Be it in any way, we all have a part to play. You all have a part to play. And so no one should ever think, I've got no place. Not true at all. It's the one lifeboat and we're in it together. But of course we can never think that we do it by our own strength, by our own wisdom, by our own willpower, by our own talents and giftings. I mean, how can... Any person brings someone from death to life. But by the grace of God, who strengthens us, who grants us wisdom, who empowers us, who gives us the gifts, that we might go forth, even though we are broken vessels, that we might go forth and preach Christ to the nations. And we must remember here the final words of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus promised at the end of the Great Commission? He didn't say, go and make disciples of all nations and I'll just stand here and watch from the distance. He didn't say that. What did he promise? He promised, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
And so when we are on mission, we're on the lifeboat together, but we have Christ who is with us to the very end of the age. And so why do we exist as a church? Well, rather having up to 300 variations for why we exist. We've got the one clear mission for all of us. We've got our life jackets on. We're all in the lifeboat, ready to work and working to save. So that if anyone asks you, your friend over coffee, your colleague at work, your neighbour down the road, why do you go to church? Why do you still go to church? I thought that time was past. What do you say? Well, as a church, we're on about making and maturing disciples of Jesus. Do you want to come along? What do you say? I mean, just imagine. Just imagine if we together, united under Christ, praying towards that mission, pursuing that mission, imagine this lifeboat gets filled. I mean, already we don't have enough car park spaces. That's already a problem. But imagine, not enough seats. Across both services, in fact, not enough seats, maybe over more than two services. Filled to the brim with disciples of Jesus who are on mission. Just imagine, no churches closing down, but churches growing, even planting, perhaps even from us. More lifeboats going out. Now, they will be difficult, hard decisions to make because they'll be so uncomfortable. But would it be worth it to do so because there are so many souls to be saved? And, of course, desiring, praying for gospel growth. It's never about making us feel good in any way. It's not for us at all. But instead, it is the gospel-centered heart that longs for people to be saved. It is the God-centered lives that longs to live a life that pleases our Lord in heaven. Well, just imagine all our young ones here at school, primary school, secondary school, university, all of them unashamed of Jesus in every way. They go to school, to university with boldness, with an assurance, with that urgency in sharing Christ. Why? Because they have been taught from the word of God well. Because they have been discipled well. Because they too know, even though they're little, they're on the same lifeboat as well. Well, just imagine all the families here, so committed to the mission of Jesus in your own household, so that we use our time, our energy, our resources, our homes, to be a place of prayer, to be the place where Bible study happens, to be the place of evangelism, of hospitality, so that our kids will see what we value, so that our kids would see and learn and grow up in the ways we are. Well, just imagine all the seniors here, all the retirees, and many of you are doing this already. You pray. You share wisdom with those younger than you. You might choose to disciple a younger man or a younger woman. You teach them to be husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. You disciple them, you mature them in Christ so that every generation 
in our church and that it will continue, will be maturing in Christ. Well, just imagine every one of us who are suffering chronic illness, depression, cancer, or life is nearing its end. But yet, I've got that robustness of faith. I will show to the world I've got nothing to fear. I'm a disciple of Jesus and I'm safe in my Saviour's hand. Well, just imagine, though just a lifeboat, we become such a beacon of light in our community so that anyone living around here, when they come to face struggles in life and sorrow, or when they have questions of life and death and heaven and hell, when the thought of religion or, or Jesus comes to their mind, the first thing that will come to their mind is, I can go to that local church where I'll find the answer, where I'll be welcomed and loved. Just imagine that for us in this community. Just imagine. But maybe, let's not just imagine... Let us pray to that end, not for our sake, but the sake of God. Let us live towards that end, not for our own glory at all, but for the glory of God alone. Let us all be on mission, making and maturing disciples of Jesus together. Amen. Let's pray. O oh God, our oh Father, how big a task you have set before your church. How enormous the calling. How difficult the challenge. But how urgent the mission. And so we pray that you will indeed use us. Be with us. That we might live out our lives in honour of you with God-centred lives. Help us all to be making and maturing disciples of Jesus together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.